Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. Today is The Stacks Best Books of 2020, and I am joined by two of my favorite readers to break down this year in reading. Christine Ballo is the Marketing and Programs Manager at Loyalty Books, and she's the reader behind the Bookstagram account, Reading is Magical. Our other guest is the hilarious and insanely creative Oscar Almonte Espinal, the reader behind Books T. Henny on Instagram. We're picking our top 10 and telling you about the books we're most looking forward to in 2021. Reminder, the Stacks Book Club pick for December is Citizen and American Lyric by Claudia Rankin, and we will discuss the book on Wednesday, December 30th with Darnell Moore. Patreon is an incredible website that allows everyday creators like me to connect with my supporters like you and offer you all unique perks in exchange for your support. In my case, I call my Patreon community the Stacks Pack, and they earn things like the Stacks Virtual Book Club and discounts on merch. They also get to rest easy knowing their contributions make the Stacks possible. If you want to join the Stacks Pack, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks. This week, I'm shouting out some of our newest members of the Stacks Pack. Melissa Mellis, Allie, April Nickerson, Okayame Haley, Kristen Anton, Jessica Wunderlich, Corey B., Becky Fuller, Anna Garrity, and Caitlin Duffy. Thank you all so much. You make this show possible. Okay, now let's get to the Stacks official best books of 2020. All right, everybody. It is, I don't know, maybe one of my most favorite episodes of the year. It's the Stacks favorite books of 2020 episode. This year, we're doing something a little different. 2020 sort of been a shit show for many people. There have been really good things about this year, but there have also been some just fucking disastrous things about this year. So I decided that a way to have a little bonus fun was to bring on two of my favorite bookstagrammers to talk about our 10 favorite books of 2020. So I have brought on Christine Ballo, who is the reader behind Reading is Magical. Christine, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here, Tracy. So excited. And I've brought on everyone's favorite body roller, Oscar Almonte Espinal, the reader behind Books, Tea, and Henny. Oscar, welcome. Yes. Thank you for having (laughs) me here. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you both. I am 
we're really mixing it up. Normally, I, in the past two years, I've had lo- literary Lauren, Lauren Fenella as my guest. But this year, I thought, why not mix it up a little bit, try some new people, spread the love. So I'm really excited that both of you agreed to join me on this episode. And for those of you listening at home, how it's going to work is we're just going to tell you the books we loved this year. Uh, the only real rules behind this is that the book had to be published in 2020. Um, And then at the end of the episode, we'll talk about what we're looking forward to in 2021. And before we get to our books, for people who don't know both of you, I'd just love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you live, what you generally like in reading, like what kind of reading vibe you normally go for so that when you say your favorite books, people are like, oh, that makes sense. Like I might like that. Or they'll be like, oh, she reads shit that I'm not into. Like, I'm not going to pick that up or whatever. So, um, Oscar, why don't you start? Okay. So I am from Philadelphia. Um, so I'm in the Philly area. Um, what was the other question? Just tell us about your, <laughs> <laughs> rough, rough great start. Um, tell us about your reading taste and everything. Okay. So my reading taste, I read honestly everything, but I like, like, reading literary fiction, um, books for like some good prose. I usually go for that. That's what's going to be at the top of my list this year. Books with good writing. Um, but I really jump into like historical fiction, um, thrillers I do here and there, um, and nonfiction. I've been getting into the nonfiction this year. Uh, so yeah, I just have my hand in everything. You do. And you're <laughs> a student? Yes, I am a student. I I'm a senior. I'm about to graduate in May. I'm excited. Uh, at Penn nice. State. Yeah. So. And you're an doing, English major. Yeah, I'm an English major. Mm-hmm. And doing a minor in history, but okay. yeah, we're gonna be down the low. <laughs> and in a few, I don't know, as soon as maybe June or in the next year or so, you're gonna be an editor at a major publisher, right? That's the goal. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, uh, we'll see how that works. But yeah, I'm trying to. Um, get a job in the publishing industry because I love books and I want to be surrounded by books and work with books. So we're just putting that out there. We should, we should say it because this episode, this wrap up episode is sort of famous in my life for putting things out there and then they actually happen the next year. So I went back and listened to the 2019 episode and there were a few authors that I was like, oh, they should come on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And they did. Or some books that I was excited about that made it on my top list. So we're just putting out Oscar needs a job in publishing in 2021. So, you know, hook him up, homies. I know some of you, I know some of you editors are out there listening. I know some of you authors are looking, listening, paying attention. Can you hook up my boy. <laughs> right. Like yes. I'm trying to like get into it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and Christine, tell us a little bit about you. Um, well, I live in Denver, Colorado, and I work remotely for loyalty bookstores, which is a, yes, they're amazing. The owner, Hannah Oliver Depp is like seriously one of the best humans ever um loyalty for anyone who doesn't know is a black and queer on bookstore and i do the uh marketing and programming i'm the one of the managers there and i love it let's see i have pretty eclectic taste i love literary fiction but i love graphic novels ya middle grade um some like style like i love weird and wonderful like things that are just kind of quirky quirky like I like like Japanese fiction has a lot of like kind of what's going on (laughs) but I love that shit um 
what else? I don't know. I mean, this year I've been definitely reading more romance, um, cozy mysteries because, you know, needed something a little easier on the brain. Um, pretty much I read almost everything but horror. Okay. Okay. So one of the things, I mean, look, 2020 was not the year that I think any of us anticipated when 2019 came to an end or when the year was starting. So I'm curious, what did what did you all think about the year in books sort of generally? And what were the ways that you feel like maybe your reading was affected by the year 2020? And you can kind of take that to mean whatever, whatever you want. I know for me, you know, there would be like two weeks where I would just read constantly and would be super focused on reading. And that this is post pandemic um, or post March. And then all I could do for a month would just be watching cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies. Like I literally could not focus on reading. Um, Audiobooks have saved me a lot as far as like still staying in touch with books. Mm. Um, So I've just tried to be more forgiving with myself, you know, in that maybe I'm not getting to all of the books I wanted to, um, but just being grateful for what I was able to get to because there were still some amazing books out there. Um, I really feel for authors who had books out this spring and the summer, especially debut authors, especially Mm -hmm. debut authors by um, people of color. Um, So I've definitely been trying to focus on reading and supporting their books and those authors more. Yeah, for me, um, when the whole pandemic went into the whole like, everything's locked down. Um, I was like in the middle of spring break. So I was already reading a lot. I, I guess like the pandemic helped me like read more than usual, I guess. Um, I was just reading because I watching the news, I was just like getting anxiety. And I also like one week after spring break, my whole family got the coronavirus. So I, I was just like, I need to like tune out of everything. I stopped going to my classes. I told my professor, I was like, listen, I'm like dealing with a lot. I'm like, I have this virus and I, I can't focus. I got my anxiety was over the roof. Um, so I just started reading um, to just like help me cope with like my mental health. But yeah, and then just like um, Christina said, Christine uh, said, uh, helping out these new debut authors who were like publishing their books out in this like pandemic where like people were, like didn't have like the resource to go to the local uh, bookstore. Um, so yeah, I was just trying to do my best to like be a supportive system to these uh, books that were coming out during this whole mess. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because I feel like you two both maybe I didn't plan this, but you guys are both sort of on the spectrum of what I've heard from a lot of readers. Either the pandemic sort of helped you buckle down and read a lot more, or the pandemic made you sort of feel like, I can't focus, I can't read anything. And I feel like I definitely felt both of those things this year. I was sort of, I sort of, at at each time I was either Christine or Oscar, I think. Um, (laughs) Like in November, I didn't finish a book until halfway through the month. And in October, I read like 12 books, which is a lot for me, not even in the pandemic. So it was a very weird month. I mean, and not just the pandemic. I feel like in 2020, we had obviously the election, which was very stressful. And there was a lot of energy around that. And then, of course, we had 
um, sort of, I don't know, I guess what I've been recently calling the racial reckoning, where there was this discovery by certain people of anti-Black racism, um, which which was sort of, you know, obviously prompted by the murders of Breonna Taylor, uh, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, among other people. But of course, those three, I think, are the touchstone names of the year that really like sort of sparked the movement um, or the re re attention to the movement, the, I don't know, re-reckoning, if you will. I'm wondering if any of that activity in June had any effect on what you ended up reading in the latter half of the year, um, if at all. I mean, you're, we're all um, readers of color. And so I think, you know, um, and part of the reason that I I connect with both of you is that I know that you're both already doing the work around racism and anti-racism and, and, you know, Oscar, you're Latinx, Christine, you're Filipina. So I feel like there is um, already a consciousness among your account and everything. So not to insinuate that you guys discovered racism this year (laughs) by any means, but I'm a black woman and I think that my reading changed a little bit this year too. Um, So I'm just curious if you felt that way at all you know, post-June. Yeah, like, just like you said, I've been reading these books for the past since I've been on Bookstagram, um, the anti-racist books that were going around online. Um, I already read most of them, but um, I think I had a shift uh, with the nonfiction. I didn't usually read so much nonfiction mm. in a year. It usually was like six books of nonfiction. <laughs> but this year I had like a whole shift uh, where I was trying to see what um, people were talking about different topics um, because the genre just interested me. Um, so yeah, that's the only shift that I could say that was caused by the whole like summer reckoning that was happening around here. Right. Um, just getting into nonfiction, going back to Baldwin, uh, The Fire Next Time, um, reading Past, which came out during the summer. Um, but yeah. And begin again. I read Begin Again. Yeah. 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 I actually read The Fire Next Time this summer, too. Um, and I read The Warmth of Other Suns for the first time because um, I know that's one of your favorite books, Tracy. Um, and uh, it it just totally transformed my brain and like how it just connects to so many other aspects of life in America and history. And so I feel like I have a better understanding of the, what it is, um, the black experience in America with like that time period that it encompasses. Um, but really my reading didn't change too much. Like I had read some of these anti-racist books, how to be an anti-racist, man, white supremacy. I had read them at the beginning of the year and stamped junior at the beginning of the year, um, before, you know, everyone was talking about them. Um, I think like Oscar, I was, I've been more, um, keen to pick up nonfiction, um, you know, just to have a better understanding of, of things and really, you know, continue to do the work on myself. Um, yeah. What I'm hearing both of you say is that the shift wasn't necessarily in the content, but more in the form. You were already doing the reading around uh, anti-Black racism, but you both sort of leaned into the nonfiction side of it. I mean, in in some regards, too, 
also in the romance and and the joy, you know, in knowing that, okay, these anti-racist reading lists are only one aspect of the Black experience. Like, it's, it's more than that. And, you know, Black joy matters and Black stories matter about, you know, mundane, everyday life things. It doesn't all have right. to be slavery and, you know, civil rights civil and all rights, of that. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it's so much more than that. And so I think also leaning into that and, and that's, yeah, that's really been a good part of my reading experiences here as well. I definitely like second that for sure. Um, as I mentioned, I'm into the, like the literary fiction. So I was like doing already like reading fiction across the board, you know, Kincaid, um, Morrison, Baldwin, um, before the whole thing went down. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, moving away from the nonfiction, you know, like these critics just like, um, writing about the slavery and Jim Crow, um, it's just going to like stories, um, written by black people and poor black people. And it's just, it was beautiful. I had a weird shift, I think not so much in my reading, but in this podcast, I feel like I, this is going to sound sort of weird, I think. But um, because I've never actually articulated this out loud, but I think one of the big shifts for me creating the show this year around like the racial reckoning is that I sort of felt like I had to be super inclusive of all of my guests, like that I had to make space for um, white women and um, black women and um, queer, gender queer, you know, folks and and whatever that was that I had to be, I had to have a space, not just for like, quote unquote, a diverse group of guests, but that diversity had to include whiteness in a way. And I think that since June, I realized like, I am not that interested in that type of um, blanketed diversity. And that I wanted this podcast to be more specific about who I was inviting, like the people and the authors and the readers that interested in me personally, and not so that I was having like a sort of colorblind um, slate of guests and not colorblind in the sense of I don't see color, but more like, I guess, United Nations E, right? Like it's like, okay, I have to have someone of Slavic descent. Like I have to have someone of, um, Chinese descent. I have to have someone of Dominican descent and that maybe like I'm not that interested in having that guest and I shouldn't have to have them just because they check a box. And I think mm-hmm. since I've shifted sort of what speaks to me or like if I am my audience, if I created the show because I wanted to have conversations about books in a specific way, I should be reading towards that goal. I should be inviting people on the show towards that goal. And I should be asking questions towards that goal. And I think since I've had that shift, I like the show better. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happier. I I mean, I always loved the show, but I think that the episodes are better. I think that the books I'm reading in general have been better and again, not that I ever had the intention of like being colorblind, but I did have a sort of like uh, all inclusive vibe that I just, the show isn't all inclusive and that's not how um, community works. Like you have to exclude people to create community. You have to exclude, you know, not everybody is your person. Not everybody is your audience. Not everybody is your reader. And I think this year has taught me that as a reader, as a podcaster, just as a as a human, as a friend, you know, I mean, we're seeing this very, very clearly, I think for people and who are quarantining, like 
you can't just have a backyard hang with every single person you know. You have to decide like who is in your bubble or who is in your extended bubble. Like who are you willing to interact with? And I think that that sort of mentality has definitely infiltrated how I think about this podcast and and how I think about my reading in general. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. With that being said, I think we should go to the books. So for listeners at home, I asked us all to pick five books. But then when we started comparing our books, we actually had a lot of overlap between the three of us. Um, So we've picked each picked three books. And then we have one book that we all fully agreed on. So I will save that last. We'll save the one that we all agreed on for the last one um, because I guess it would be the consensus pick of book of the year if we did such a thing. But for now, I'm going to just, we'll start, we'll just go in this order, Christine, Oscar, and then myself, and you'll just say your title of your book and what it was that you loved about it. Um, so Christine, kick it off. This is so hard for me. I... <laughs> 
but I'm going to pick ones that maybe um, some of your reader or your listeners haven't read yet. Um, so my first one is Displacement. It's a YA graphic novel, and it is mm. written by um, a woman. Uh, it's Well, the publisher is First Second, um, and it's by Kiku Hughes. She is biracial Japanese-American, and... Um, it's, she's in San Francisco and she is learning more about her grandmother's experience in the internment camps and something happens, like there's a, a, a mist that happens and she gets transported back in time. And it has a very similar vibe to like Kindred with the time travel aspect. Um, it's so well done the the imagery is beautiful um it really so she she goes through the the whole experience of the internment camp along with her grandmother without her grandmother knowing that she's her descendant um and it you know it just focuses this experience that her family went through and that the um people who were in internment camps went through and like all those little moments that maybe you know get erased in history, like those little, little everyday things, um, and just put more weight to it. And it was just such a beautiful graphic novel and very emotional. And it's one that really stayed with me. And as a biracial, um, person who, you know, is currently like working on getting to know my own culture and history, my family's history more, it really resonated with me. And I think it's something that even if you read literary fiction or even if you don't normally read graphic novels or YA, this is one that I would recommend picking up. That sounds so good. I don't even think I have heard of that book. I am very excited. It's stunning. It really okay. is. It's it like I'm I'm have tingles right now just talking about it. Okay, Oscar, what's your first pick? So in my list, I have Hurricane Season by um per- at Fernanda Melkor. I think I say your name. I'm bad with names. I'm horrible. Um, sue me. <laughs> so um, this book is about, it's very like graphic, but the story is really fascinating. Um, so it's about a witch who's just died, um, who has been killed, murdered. Um, and this whole village in Mexico um, is trying to investigate like what happened to this witch and like, this whole thing like uh, happens where everybody's just wondering like what happened. Um, but the story really just like how I was invested right from the first page, um, the writing, the prose always like, it was beautiful. It was just, tra- it was translated from Spanish. The book is crazy. Um, it, it, that's the best way that I can explain it. I haven't even reviewed this book yet of how like shook I've been since I read it in the summer. But I recommend reading it. I don't want to give a lot because... Okay, don't give it. anything away. But, uh, <laughs> it's intense. Just know that it's intense. Oh um, my God, I but, love it. Mm-hmm. What What country is the author from? Do you know? And she's Mexican, yeah. Mexican, okay. Yeah, so like the whole book just tackles like these themes. Like in Mexico, there's been a lot of like brutal murder mm-hmm. of women. So it's just like going off like what Bolaño was tackling with with his books um, about this um, violence that was done against women, like going up still, like the numbers. Um, So it's inspired by that, but like the way that she mixes in like this witch and like Mm. these stories, uh, Mm. everything. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, that sounds so good. It For does. some reason, I had in my head that it was a nonfiction book. I thought Every it was a poetry collection. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. No. But, okay, I'm glad we know now. No, nothing I about that. Uh, <laughs> no, the author, she, um, she's, uh, is, she said it's inspired by the true story. Okay. Um, but she's, like, mainly tackling that theme of, like, um, of women being brutally killed in Mexico. But, okay. yeah, she does this, like, perfectly. It's like, girl... You did that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My first pick, again, these are in no particular order. Uh, I will go with Black Futures by Jenna Wortham and Kimberly Drew. Uh, It's edited by them. Excuse me. It just came out December 1st. Um, This book was last year when I went through my books I was most excited about for 2020. This book was on the list. Um, It is I can't, it's, it's impossible to explain. I've never seen a book like it before. It is an essay collection, a poetry collection, an art book. It has memes, it has tweets, it has recipes, it has song lyrics, it has conversations between authors, activists, politicians, um, artists. It's just this incredible collection all about blackness, um, black history, black present, black future. It's about, I mean, if, if anything, I think I would say this book is an ex- a concrete physical manifestation of the idea that blackness is not a monolith. There is just so much in the book from, you know, black barbershops to black uh, and indigenous culture, people who are black and indigenous to, you know, trans black folks, to queer black folks, to ownership of black art. There's a recipe for coconut sweetbread that I cannot wait to make. It sounds delicious. There is a conversation between Jenna Wortham and ta Coates that is so wonderful. It includes some of my favorite authors like Kiese Lehman, obviously Jenna Wortham, um, as I said, ta Coates, Samantha Irby's in there. Um, a film director who I love, Ezra Edelman, who did the O.J. Simpson documentary, he's in there. One of my favorite like online personalities, Rembert Brown, Wesley Morris, who co like it's just like just a fucking mm-hmm. black diasporic, beautiful. I mean, the only thing that's not physically in the book that I think you know is missing, and it can't be, is there's no film. In like you can't see a movie when you're looking at a book, but there are sh- shots of scenes from films. Mm. There's posters. It's just so incredible. And the other thing that I will say about this book, specifically to Black listeners, is that this is one of the first and only pieces of art I think I've ever seen where I felt like for Black folks, it, there was no white gaze, G-A-Z-E, mm. that this book exists without any explanation or you know, even consideration of white audiences in a way that just felt so healing. And yes, it talks about Black Lives Matter, but it talks about the joy and the sections like joy, justice, outlook, Black is still beautiful is one of the section titles. It's just so incredible. It's like 500 pages. I read it in three and a half days. It's just everything about it is incredible. So shout out to Black Futures. Yeah, I recently just got that book and I'm so excited to read it. I have not read anything in December, but once I'm done with these finals, trust and believe I'm starting mm-hmm. Black Futures uh, because it looks like, looks like a whole fantasy. It looks I mean, so good. The, the yeah. cover. The cover. Oh my gosh. It's so beautiful. 
I, I just got a copy the other day too, and I cannot wait to read that. It's so great. I I hope that everyone who picks it up loves it as much as I as I did. I full disclosure am obsessed with Jenna Wortham. When I started this podcast, I made a list of people that I wanted to be guest, and she is one of the people that is on that list who has not come on the podcast yet. So Jenna, shout out to you Ooh, one day. Let's just put it out in happen. the universe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Christine, you're up. Okay. My second one is uh, Sharks in the Time of Saviors mm. by Kawhi Strong Washburn. Um, and it's uh, MCD uh, FSG is the publisher. And uh, it's by a Native Hawaiian author, and it's about a Native Hawaiian and Filipino family in Hawaii. And uh, it's a debut debut novel. The writing is gorgeous. Like if you like lyrical kind of like a little elements of magical realism in your literary fiction, um, this is a great one to read. It's about this uh, family and they're on their way from one island to another and the youngest boy he falls over the ship and these sharks are there and this is all in the beginning so it's not not spoilers um and you know everyone's freaking out because they think the sharks are gonna eat him or attack him and one of the sharks gently puts the boy in his mouth and carries him back to the ship to his mother and they are like, he is blessed by the Hawaiian gods and he has these sort of mystical powers and it, ex- and the book explores how that affects the rest of the family. And there's three siblings and, um, you know, there's tragedy that happens and how does that affect the family? And it really explores like, real Hawaii and not white tourists on vacation drinking a pina colada um you know like it really it's like if you if you want a book that's gonna give you some of the legit shit about Hawaii like this is the book to read I mean the writing is just it's just beautiful it really is and I noticed um Back in May during American or Asian American Pacific Islander uh, Heritage Month, a lot of people had stacks of books for, you know, all kinds of all different Asian countries. But a lot of people didn't really have any books by Pacific Islanders. Um, And so I think that and me included, that's definitely um, an aspect of my reading that I'd like to you know, focus more on next year. And I think if that's something that's a goal of yours, you should definitely pick up this book as well. Okay, Oscar. Yes. Okay, so my next book um, is Sugi Bean by um, Douglas Stewart. And oh my God, believe the hype, y'all. Like this <laughs> book has been everywhere and it's for a reason because the book is good. Like it's thick, she's thick, but the book goes is like oh my god it was just everything uh, so the book is about um the youngest of this family uh who's dealing with the mom who's like she's alcoholic and um the book just tackles like these big themes of addiction um and what it does to a family and it's just like a very emotional ride 
Uh, but it's beautiful. It's beautifully written, and it's a debut, and it's just so well done. Like, I was crying by the end, just, like, <laughs> tearing up because, like, uh, Shuggy was just written so per- perfectly. Um, and also tackles queerness um, and growing up queer and what that feels like, uh, what society expects from you. And I just, like, related to, like, Shuggy because, like, oh, my God, like, that's literally me um, growing up different. Um, but also that addiction part um, really just, like, really touched me a little bit because um, in Dominican culture is a lot is, like, this addiction of alcoholism that nobody talks about. Like, everybody just has this clear addiction um, but I don't know. I resonated with, um, with just Shuggy and what he was going through. Um, and it was everything. I'm glad that you love that book because I have been told by at least three people that that book is my nightmare and I should not pick it. <laughs> no, um, it's, it's emotional as hell though. Like, but Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't read it, but that doesn't sound like a Tracy book. Literally everyone is like, I'm like, should I read it? And they're like, don't do that. But you know, look, we all have our own reading taste, which is why I wanted you guys to introduce yourself with your taste because I wanted to make sure that people understood just because a book is not something that I'm going to pick up doesn't mean that it's not a freaking incredible, amazing Mm. book. So that sounds like what Shuggy Bane is. It's been on all the lists. So, you know, don't mind me being a non a nonfiction lover who hates beautiful <laughs> stories you know oh my god no, definitely this is not gonna be up your alley <laughs> it's very literary like it just goes in uh but I'm, I'm a sucker for that okay all right my next pick speaking of being a lover of nonfiction, uh love a good memoir my book is memorial drive by natasha trethaway it is a super slim I don't know, 200 page, not even maybe a memoir. When Natasha Trethway was 19, her mother was murdered by her mother's ex, ex ex-husband. And it is her, she's, I believe now in her six fifties or sixties, and she's revisiting this event in her life. And she's dealing with the ways that trauma affects memory, um, the guilt, the, you know, deep, deep, deep grief the thoughts of what could have been, what was. And I don't want to say too much about the book, but what I will say is obviously from the things I've just said about physical violence and domestic violence, you know, this book has all those trigger and content warnings that you could imagine in a book like this. And and from my understanding of readers who have experienced uh, domestic violence or, you know, have either experienced it as spousal abuse or maybe witnessed it from from their parents. My understanding from those readers is that the way that it's handled is with such care that while it's difficult to read, it's not necessarily um, exploitative or triggering in a way that makes it impossible to read if that's part of your story. Obviously, for every reader, take whatever time you need. If it's not for you, it's not for you. But I do just want to say that the readers that I've spoken to who have, have been forthcoming with that part of themselves have all mentioned that it was more readable and more approachable than what they had anticipated. It's just done with such freaking care. It's so incredible. There is There are two scenes that are truly like take your... I was literally gasping. I was in the bathtub and I was like... <gasps> 
Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And Natasha Trethway was the poet laureate. She, uh, I um, believe, did a poem for Obama's inaugur- second inauguration. I mean, she's the, the fucking realist, dealist person, right? Like she's no slouch. And this book is incredible. And it's just another example of a poet who writes an incredible memoir. I mean, some poets can do it and some can't, but Natasha Trethway, she can and she did. And it's incredible. I feel like poets, poets who write novels or memoirs is like one of my love languages. <laughs> but sometimes they're not good. Not, to me. yeah. I mean, not always, but in general, I found yeah. that if it's a poet, I usually will like the book. See, I think I'm, I'm hit or miss because I also don't love that like literary stuff. Mm-hmm. So some, sometimes it's like too, like, I love words and I'm like doing things with words, you know, like sometimes it's like too (laughs) masturbatory, like Mm. Saeed Jones can fucking do it. Like, yes, that book was on my list last year. Top 10 Mm -hmm. for sure. A thousand percent how we fight for our lives. But sometimes I'm like, okay, but this book is in that same, I mean, stratosphere of like Natasha Trethewey can write and it doesn't matter what she's writing, she can do it. So shout out to her. For, <laughs> yeah, for me, like, I think one of the reasons why I, like, jumped into poetry this year is because of those, like, memoirs written by poets mm-hmm. and books written by poets. And I've been loving my poetry experience. It's given me everything <laughs> mm-hmm. I need to survive. And I really recommend jumping in because these poets just put the beautiful words together. And it's mm-hmm. just giving me chills all the time. <laughs> but um, I, I have Memorial Drive in my TBR uh, for 2021, though, because I can't. <laughs> it's so good. And it's so short. It's I mean, it's like a one or two day read mm-hmm. max. And mm-hmm. I suggest reading it in that way. I, if you don't have time you know, in the next 48 hours, I wouldn't pick it up. It's pretty immersive. Like you want to be able to read it pretty quickly. So if it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I have all this stuff going on, save it for when you have, you know, a rainy weekend or something. All right, Christine. Okay. For anyone who follows me on Bookstagram, this will not be a surprise, but my last pick is The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Klune. It is a adult fantasy, and um, it's Tor is the publisher. It's an adult contemporary fantasy that is like a warm blanket wrapped around you <laughs> and just giving you like the biggest little queer hug ever. Um, it is about, you know, I don't even need to tell you what it's about. Just trust me. Like every, I know so many people who've read it based on my recommendation and I don't want to sound conceited, but everyone has loved it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's like so heartwarming. And this book, I've read this book um, in print and on audio probably five or six times this year. Like it has saved me and it, it is just pure joy. It, is one of those books, like, I think if everyone in the world read it, this would be a kinder world. Um, it's about found family, people who are different, like, that That doesn't mean that that's a bad thing, you know, and everyone is worthy of love and respect and kindness. And it is just, I mean, I, like, I'm getting emotional. It's, it is one of the 
best books ever. And it really is. Um, it's just so kind and endearing. Um, and I, I really think everyone needs to read it. Even if you're like adult contemporary fantasy, what? Like, <laughs> like, even if that's not your jam, like, please just give it a go. Um, it is just so beautiful and loving and it will make you like, just want to hold your heart and <laughs> give it like a little hug. <laughs> that is not my jam, but I will give it a go. <laughs> okay, Oscar, go. What's next for you? So my next pick is um, Tokyo Union Station. I hope I'm saying that right. By um, you, Miri. I'm bad with names, y'all. Please, please don't kill me. Uh, but no, this book, y'all, is short. And it recently just won the National Book Award for Translated Literature. And I read it like in a day. Like I started at night and like I finished it the day after that, the morning after that. But it's just so good. Again, the writing. I'm there for the writing. And the writing was everything. Um, it's a little emotional, though. I cried. I mean, like, I teared up, like, four times in mm. this one. I like my little emotional books. But this is about... Um, it, the narrator is already dead. And it's just he's giving you his reflection of his life and what he has been through. It tackles homelessness. Um, and it's just like, uh, it's a, it's a beautiful reflection of like life. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's just everything. And I'm not trying to give away too many spoilers, but it's so good. And I recommend and they like read it, um, and make sure you have like a tissue box right next to you because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I was crying y'all like ugly crying. Oh my gosh. Okay. I've heard very good things about that. I, I mean, that's one of my goals for 2021 is to read more books in translation. And you've given us mm -hmm. two. And I guess all three of your books were non, not American authors, right? Because Shuggy Bain is yes. Scottish, mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, he is um, a Scottish writer. Yeah. Um, but that's so try to even notice that. Good yeah. job. Good job yeah. by you. Look at you, Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> okay. Okay. My next one is uh, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Disha Filia. Um, I mean, we all three had this on our list, but I strong armed everyone and put it on my <laughs> list because I am the host of this podcast and I don't make episodes every week for 52 weeks in a row to just not be able to talk about my favorite book. So boom. <laughs> Um, it's a sh short story collection. It's fiction. And again, sort of, I pretend like I don't like short story collections or fiction. And then every year I always end up talking about how much I loved a short story collection. So what do I know? It's so good. Another book that is sort of unapologetically black. Um, it's, it's a book about, I don't know, it's a bunch of short stories about black women and their church women in some way or another I, I, it's like hard to say because all the stories are sort of different but the through line is that it's a, it's about black women and the ways that i guess the church the idea of church churchiness is in their lives and it has lots of sex and it has you know it has some really sad like touching stories and then it has some like really fucking funny stories and disha can fucking write she can write a story. And this book, again, very short. And if you know anything about my reading taste is I like a short book. I just think it shows skill. I think it shows um, 
an ability to be discerning, which I always appreciate. And I mean, this collection is it's almost too short. It's so good. It's like, do you have a hundred more stories about church women for me? Like, mm-hmm. I would love to talk yeah. to them. <laughs> but it's so, 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 so good. And it was a finalist for the National Book Award. And it's God, it's good. I don't know. It's good. That's it. Like, right? Like, what else do you say about it? It's so good. The writing is so good. There's joy. There's sorrow. There's everything that you could want. And it's like mm-hmm. 200 pages, I think slightly less. It's incredible. Um, obviously not not as far as like the content necessarily, but it reminded me, I think was it um you and Jason Reynolds were talking about this in one of his episodes where the Nickel Boys was like such a perfect like novel with it's you know, just yeah. over two hundred pages. And this reminded me of that where every word is so purposeful and like there's nothing wasted there's no unnecessary fat to the words like but you get so much mm-hmm. from each short story and oh, i loved it too it was just so good i i, I think that's the best uh word for it I, I i was good in my life i was entertained by those stories um i think it was like the peach cobbler one mm-hmm. that one had me shook Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God. Um, but every story, every story is just like going to Mars. You, yeah. you, you gotta take it to Mars with these stories. The writing is so clean, like mm-hmm. just like Christine said, like there's no fat to those sentences at all. It's just so clean and it's done yeah. so perfectly. Mm-hmm. I loved it's it. So good. It's so I good. think my, I loved the how to love a physicist. Oh yeah. What, what that was one of my favorites. My favorite know, was so good. I think my favorite was is it Jael? Oh, mm-hmm. I freaking love that one. They're all so good. Okay, yeah. we're gonna do. We're like we are taking so long, and I'm like worried about time, so I'm sort of rushing right now. But I wanted to give okay. this next one the time that it deserves because this is the book that I think all three of us also had on our list, The Undocumented Americans by Carla Cornejo Villavicencio. And she was a guest on this podcast, as well as her book was a book club pick for the Stacks this year. I have to say all credit to um, Oscar and Lupita for putting this book on my radar. And I think probably putting this book on a lot of people's radar. Uh, A debut from Carla, who is, you know, I I mean, who could say right now for sure, but it feels like she's going to be a voice of this generation. And this is the first of many incredible things she's going to put into the world. Um, And this book is sort of creative nonfiction, I think is what you might call it. It has aspects of memoir. It has aspects of reportage. It has, you know, a little history. Um, It has sort of, I guess, maybe magical realism-y, you might say, but I don't I also don't want to say that cuz I think that gives people the wrong idea but it's about undocumented people in America and for me what stands out about this book and I think we all will say our, you know our little piece about it but for me what stands out about this book is the creativity of the storytelling obviously the incredible storytelling her sense of voice is just unmatched I mean I read so much nonfiction and it's so rare that a writer is able to do the the inserting themselves into the narrative so well in addition to doing the reporting part so well. 
Um, and she blurs the lines of sort of traditional reporting in a way that, you know, really made me think and question what I think of as quote unquote traditional reporting. And the last thing I'll say is that her writing really has sort of a fury to it and a rage to it that is appropriate and compelling. Like I felt compelled to change who I am and to question what I think because of her writing. And so for all of those reasons, I think this is not only an, a quote unquote important book, but a fucking good book. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. This is <laughs> at the top of my list. Um, since I read it at the beginning of the year. And I think what it was for me is that we started the year with that infamous book. uh, I don't even want to mention that book. Um, When I read the book, I remember just getting to like that first chapter after the introduction. It's just like crying at the middle of the night because like, I I never read a book that wrote about, like, I saw myself right on the page and I never, like, experienced that, like, so deeply. And I feel like she was writing to me. Like, I I just felt it. Um, She was writing words that I couldn't even found that I was feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just, like, writing those feelings down on this book. And I I was just, like, getting my whole life. (laughs) Um, And I remember that time, like, crying and I kept reading. and. Um, throughout the year, I've been trying to go back and read and reread the book, but I I can't because like it's I can't I'm about to get emotional, but I can't like it's it was a very it's very traumatic to like go through that experience again because like I was just getting these thoughts bad thoughts, but um, the book like is everything. Mm-hmm. As an immigrant, I I just like loved it, um, and I pushed hard for that book because. I needed everyone to read it, um, especially in a time where like immigrants are being just like used by this country. Um, and Carla just did the motherfucking thing. She did. Christine, go ahead. Just reiterating what you both said. It's such an incredible book. And I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to say, oh, this is a must read. Everyone needs to read, you know, one certain book because everyone has different tastes or, you know, triggers for themselves that maybe it's not the right time for them to read a book. But I think this would be in that category of a book that I I would recommend to everyone. Um, it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I can add much more to what you both said. It's just, it really is incredible. It's a book that has stayed with me. It really impacted me. And um, I, she has such a great perspective. And yeah, like you said, Tracy, the the rage and the fury in her writing, it just, it grabs you and it may, it forces you to look at these people and these stories that are being, you know, that she's sharing, um, in her book in a way that maybe not everyone has thought about them before, um, or has seen themselves in it, in that, you know, in a book before it really, it it really is an incredible read. Definitely, definitely recommend it. I'll just say one last thing and then we'll take a quick break, which is if you're listening to this episode the day that it came out, it is December 23rd for you. And if you are trying to find the right book to gift someone in your life 
who maybe you think has a heart, but maybe has some bad political ideas or leanings, this might be a really great gift for them um, with a really lovely, compassionate note from you saying why you think it's important for them to read this book. Um, And you can get it at your local independent bookstore in person. You can order it probably in advance and pick it up with a mask on and be compassionate to those folks who work at those independent bookstores. But I just, I think this book is a great, is a great gift. for people who are quote unquote doing the work, whatever that looks like. Um, we are just going to tell all of you some of the books that we're most excited about that are coming out in the year 2021. I will, Oscar, why don't we let you start since you did not start last time? Okay. For 2021, I actually had to go online, look for these books because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what books are coming out in 2021? Like I'm lost, but um. I, the first one that I have is Filthy Animals by Brandon mm. Taylor. His that was on my list too. Story. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's the first one that popped up in my head. Um, and I'm just so excited because I read Real Life at the beginning of the year. And I was just, again, I'm getting my life, you know? Mm. Like, the, this writer, his debut was everything. Um, his writing made me feel different things in my belly uh, <laughs> it was just so good and I'm so excited to see what he does with stories because um I haven't checked out his stories before but I heard they're great so I'm excited for filthy animals me too Christine what about you um okay my first one is the committed by Viet Thanh Nguyen um mm. It's a sequel to The Sympathizer, which won the Pulitzer a couple years ago and is one of my favorite books. It's the first book I ever read in my whole life um, with a biracial, like Asian and white narrator. Um, And it shook me to my core. His writing is stunning. Um, I actually started The Committed a couple days ago. Um, (laughs) uh, Bookseller Perk, uh, Galley Bragg. It is so good. Um, everyone read The Sympathizer if you haven't read it so that you can be ready for The Committed. Um, it, this is like, if you just love words and great storytelling, oh, I don't even know. I don't even know. Just read it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. This should come as zero surprise to any humans who know me, but there is a book coming out in February called 400 Souls. It's by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi and Dr. Keisha Blaine. It's, or they edited it. It's a collection. The way that it's, it's the 400 year history of America. It's told by, with, okay, I have to get this right. So every person who writes in the book writes about a four year span. Um, so it's a hundred essays, plus there are four poets who write a poem about each 100 year span. It's all black writers. It's all about um, the history of America, sort of as black told by black folks. Um, and some of the people who I know are contributing are some of my favorite guests from the show. Kiese Lehman is in there. Uh, Damaris B. Hill is in there. Ijeoma Oluo is in there. Uh, they're announcing people as they go. So I don't even know who else is in there yet, but it sounds am- amazing. And this is now the third year in a row that I have shouted out a book by Ibram Kendi as a book I'm looking <laughs> forward to because he is prolific in a way that stresses me out. Okay, Oscar, next up for you. Okay, so in my research of books coming out, I came across <laughs> this book. <laughs> um, it is called My Broken Language by, and it's a memoir, and it's by Kiara 
Alegria Hudes. I think I'm saying that right. I don't know. Don't sue me, okay? Don't sue me. Uh, but this is a memoir of uh, the writer who was, she was a co-writer for the play um, In the Heights. Mm. Uh, the movie's coming out, um, I think, next year. But um, I'm really excited because I rem- uh, this writer, she did an event with Carla uh, when her book came out. And I remember mentioning her memoir and I was just like, oh, my God, I must have that in my list. But I forgot about it. <laughs> so in my research, I found it. And I'm so excited um, that it's coming out next year. Um, and she is um, she's going to be talking about growing up in Philly. And I'm over here like, yes, okay, <laughs> out here. I don't read a lot of Philly based books. So I'm excited for this one. Awesome. Okay. Uh, my next one is Love and Color by Bolu. Baba Lola. Um, she is a British author. It's It actually has come out in the UK, but it doesn't come out till next year here. Um, and it's a short story collection that's retellings of um, love stories and mythologies and folklores. And it's like decolonizing those tropes. Um, so there's going to be like folktales, West African folktales, um, Middle East legends, Greek mythology. Um, I'm really excited for that book. Okay. So this book is, I don't know anything about it. I don't even know the title, but I think Ta-Nehisi Coates has a book coming out in 2021. I'm not sure, but there is some murmuring of something like that. So that's not really an official (laughs) book I'm excited about, but yes, it's a book I'm excited about. If it happens in 2021, like, yes, I will be reading it. So, but my real official pick, I guess, is called Somebody's Daughter by Ashley C. Ford. She is mm-hmm. someone who I follow on social media and have heard her on podcasts. And I'm just really excited about her memoir. And from what I understand, it's about maybe some sort of a relationship with her dad that's maybe a little not great or it's complicated. And I just really love following Ashley on social media and the activism and all of that. So I'm really excited about whatever is in this book. And one of the things that's hard for me to do about books I'm looking forward to is I don't like to know about books too much before I pick them up. So I try to just like quickly look at it and not like internalize anything. I'm like, oh, Okay, what can I glean from this? So I don't really know what the book's about, but from what I heard her talk about like a year ago on a podcast, I think on a long form podcast was her writing about her dad. So that's what I think this is about, but I'm excited because I love Ashley. Okay, Oscar, go. So my next one is um, the new Stacey Abrams book. Mm. I'm really excited about that because when I saw this like a few weeks ago, I'm like, hold up, Stacey Abrams is coming out with a book. Oh, it must be nonfiction. Then I look it up and it's actually fiction. And I'm, I was a little shook. I was like, whoa, hold up, plot twist. Um, <laughs> and then I went and looked up and then apparently she was writing books under a pseudonym of romance novels. And mm-hmm. I, was, I was like, oh, what? Was it Serena Montgomery, mm-hmm. I think is her pen name? All right. So yeah. I was a little shook. So I'm excited that she's coming out with this novel next year. Um, and I don't know what it's about, but... I want to get it. (laughs) Okay, my next pick is, it's a cozy mystery by a Filipina author, and it's called Arsenic and Adobo, and it's by Mia Manansala. Um, 
I'm really excited. You know, this goes into the, you know, all like <sighs> Filipinos have just been traditionally overlooked in a lot of media. And um, I, I really, you know, it's not just about like the, the suffering and the trauma, like it's about the joy. And I just like the, I love the idea of a cozy mystery um, because I like that genre, but it traditionally is very white. Um, so I'm super excited for that book. Um, cause I love Filipino food and, <laughs> um, and just like, yeah, you know, leaning into sort of the cozy, cozy vibes, like just tonight, have a nice cup of tea and, and read something, um, that just draws you in and it's a nice quick read. Christine, I'd never even heard of a cozy mystery until last year. And I was like, what is this? Apparently it's a whole genre. I didn't know that was a thing. Genre, (laughs) and I never thought I liked it. Like, what are the? What's the mystery? Like, it's like, where is my yarn? Like, I don't understand what a cozy mystery is. Okay, so there's this one series I love, and the first book is called Death by Dumpling. Um, And this is what made me realize I like cozy mysteries because it's written by. an Asian woman, Vivian Chang. I think she is Taiwanese. Um, And it's about a girl in her 20s who works for her family's uh, noodle shop in like an Asian market. And someone um, accidentally eats shrimp uh, dumplings and he's allergic and he dies. And she is trying to help figure out the mystery. And it's just like, it's just more. But what's the mystery? Like who, How, who made him? the dumpling? Oh, it was yeah, on purpose. Oh, I yeah. thought it was like an accident. I was like, that the waiter didn't write shrimp was allergy it? on the ticket. No. Like, no, was it? Or was it a murder? I see. I see. Okay. It's this just, sounds yeah, like... I don't know like what the technical way what it makes it cozy, but it's like um a little more charming and like you know, not super um, dark and serious or like gory. I see. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll pick one up. But it doesn't Maybe. seem likely. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> you. It's it's a new it's a newfound thing for me. Okay, fair. Good. I'm glad you found that for yourself. I couldn't be me. Okay. I have so many books that I want to shout out and I don't know how to do this diplomatically or kindly. Um, and so I am just going to pick a book that I am interested in. It's called Bird Uncaged, an abolitionist's freedom song by Marlon Peterson. I came to this, came to know of Marlon Peterson because in Kiese Lehman's re-released essay collection, How to Kill Yourself, how to slowly kill yourself and others in America. There is a essay called Echo, and it's Kiese and uh, Darnell Moore, Kayem Green, Michael Denzel Smith, and Marlon Peterson in conversation with each other. And so this is Marlon's memoir. And Marlon was uh, imprisoned for I'm not sure what, and I'm not sure for how long. But Bird Uncaged is his memoir, and it's he's an ab- prison abolitionist. And I came to know of it through Kiese and also through Darnell as they're all friends and um, kind of have like a cohort of mentorship between themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's this sort of beautiful thing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, anything Kiese says I should read is going to be read by me. Um, that's that for me. Um, this episode went way longer than I was anticipating, <laughs> but I am not sorry because this is like the most exciting thing to talk about what we loved and what we're looking forward to. 
I'm hopeful that in 2021, we're going to be able to be in bookstores again, going to author events in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hopeful that authors will feel the love that they deserve for their hard work in ways that I think some folks were cheated out of this year, which is really sad. Um, but on the flip side, I got to attend author events I never would have gotten to attend. Um, I think we all got to hear from authors and about books in different ways, which was really thrilling. So it wasn't all bad. Thank you so much for being here. Thank, thank you, you so much. Yes. Thank you for having us here. Oh my God. Yay. This was such a treat. Um, obviously, everything we talked about today is linked in the show notes. There's one more episode this month. Next week, I'll be back with uh, Darnell Moore talking about Citizen by Claudia Ranking. And I already recorded that conversation. And let me just tell you, it's amazing. So um, thank you all for being here. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you so much to Christine and Oscar for being my guests. Reminder, our final episode of the year is next Wednesday. It is the Stacks Book Club for December, Citizen and American Lyric by Claudia Ranking, which we will be discussing with Darnell Moore. Please make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, take a moment to rate and review this show. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Today's episode was edited and produced by Sebastian Alcala. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagiragis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. <laughs> <laughs>